I greet you in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. Over the past 60 years, I have uh, conducted hundreds of weddings, including for some of you. And uh, when I first started out, there was one line in the wedding ritual that caused me concern. You're familiar with what it is. Uh, if any man can show just cause why these two may not lawfully be joined together, let him now speak or forever hold his peace. Well, I thought, what if a brother lifts, stands up out there and says, hey, I have an objection, preacher. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> Invite him to come down front and make his case? But if I did that, it would ruin the wedding. It might start a brawl. So over the years, I have omitted that sentence in the ritual. It's not in the scripture, you know. Um, and then I was relieved, too, in 1988 when, when the Methodists uh, revised their wedding service because they left out that sentence, and uh, that was wise, and I was grateful. And then occasionally I had another concern before uh, some weddings. And it had to do with commitment. Uh, what if on the day of the wedding, bride or groom gets cold feet and doesn't show up? What am I supposed to say? Folks, there's been a personal problem that has come up that re requires a postponement of this service. Now, I could understand why bride or groom might think twice about the huge commitment they're making. I mean, the biggest commitment that one human being can make to another. You remember what it says. I promise to love and to cherish you from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. Until death us do part. That is huge. Huge. And one would hope that if bride or groom uh, is queasy about that commitment, he or she would face it long before the day of the wedding. However, if on the day of the wedding, one or the other is still wobbly, better to say it then than to go on through the vows and try to untangle it later. Thank the Lord, I never had a missing bride or groom so far. Today we deal with commitment. That's the heart of the message today. A much bigger commitment than husband makes to a wife. This is the commitment to our Lord. And the message and the scripture for the message demand an answer. They cause us to pose the question, am I a believer or just a bystander? What's it going to be? And so I direct our attention to the scripture for today from Mark's gospel, beginning with verse 31. And if you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of this holy and inerrant word of God. Jesus then began to teach 
them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And then he called the crowd to him, along with the disciples, and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their souls? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray. <clears throat> Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. In our scripture lesson for the morning, Jesus is dealing with a much bigger commitment than that made between husband and wife. He's dealing with the commitment we make to the Lord. Uh, he and his disciples had just had a spiritual high moment that must have thrilled our Lord. They were up at Caesarea Philippi in the, morning, in, in the north, and Jesus asked them a question, Who do you say that I am? And good old Simon Peter, always the first to speak, said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And of course, our Lord Jesus was thrilled. But immediately, Jesus said to them, and I am going to be arrested and flogged and killed, and then I will rise again. Well, right there, Simon Peter revealed that he had a commitment problem. Uh, he was with Jesus when things were going well, but not so sure when things got dangerous. And so Simon Peter said to him, no, no way that should happen to you. And Jesus turned to him and offered the most severe rebuke he ever leveled at any disciple. He said, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Now surely Jesus realized that if his top disciple had a commitment problem, it was much worse with the thousands of people were follow, who were following him. So Jesus called the crowds to him in a literal 
come to Jesus moment. Because he realized that the crowd out there, their commitment was, oh, a mile wide, but about an inch deep. And so he spoke words to them that are still shocking 2,000 years later. He said, before you decide to be my disciple, you better count the cost. If you follow me, it could cost you your life. And if you're a sunshine follower, with me only as long as things are going well. Go on home now, for goodness sakes. Decide now whether you will be a believer or just a bystander. No one could ever accuse Jesus of making rosy promises or offering goodies to people uh, as some politicians do. And since commitment is such a vital part of being a Christian, I want us to look at Jesus' words carefully, verse by verse. First, Jesus declared, the cost of discipleship are high. The cost of discipleship are high. In verse 34 of chapter 8, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. No other saying of Jesus is given greater emphasis in the Gospels. All four Gospels have this statement by Jesus, reflecting its importance and how the disciples remembered it, how graphic it was. Now, for most Americans, what Jesus said is so out of step. It, it, it doesn't jive with our culture. You watch the same commercials I do on TV. I haven't run into one that says, deny yourself, brother, sister. No, no, no. They tell you the opposite. Indulge yourself, for goodness sakes. Yeah, buy it now. Don't wait. And if you wonder if you can afford it, that's what you got a credit card for, or four or five. Buy it now. You only go around once. Grab for all the gusto you can. That's what the culture says. When Jesus called us to deny ourselves, he is asking us to subject our agenda to God's agenda, to say no to personal preferences if they conflict with a call from the Master. Now, since I am a, a card-carrying, obsessive-compulsive person, but the Lord has me in rehabilitation, I'm the kind of person who, in the evening of each day, I like to make a list of the things that I want to accomplish the next day. And in a weird sort of way, on the next day, it gives me some great pleasure to finish each task, and mark it off my list. Well, you can imagine how tough it is for me then to invite Jesus. Hey, Lord, if you don't like, if you've got another call that's more important than anything on the list, cancel my list. Put in your list. That's hard for me. But then I'm a work in progress. The Lord's not through with me yet, and he's not through with you yet. What does it mean to carry a cross? It does not mean to repeat what Jesus did on the cross. That's unrepeatable. His was a unique 
unrepeatable offering of himself, the Son of God, as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of all people, all believers of all generations. His was unique, a completed work, nothing we can do to add to it. Your cross and mine are different. Our cross is, is, refers to any difficult or costly or sacrificial task we take on in order to serve our Lord. And don't confuse crosses and burdens. Burdens are things that you do not choose. Life just pops them down on you, like arthritis or shingles or an IRS audit. That's a burden for sure. A cross is different. It's a sacrifice or suffering that you choose. You select it in order to serve the Lord. And the Bible says we are to carry crosses regularly. The Gospel of Luke says we are to pick up our cross every day. And we do not carry crosses to earn merit points with God. No, our salvation is a gift. We pick up crosses to say thank you to the one who went to the cross for us. The great missionary C.T. Studd wrote this, If Jesus Christ died for me, then no sacrifice is too great for me to make for him. In a former church that I served, <clears throat> there was a brilliant businessman <clears throat> And he was the CEO of uh, one of the major uh, companies in South Carolina. And soon after I was appointed as pastor of his church, he came to visit me in my office. And we shared things about ourselves, our families, our backgrounds. And then he said something that I did not know. He said, Brother Bill, I, I want you to know I am a recovering alcoholic Thanks to Jesus Christ and AA, I have been liberated from that addiction. And he said, I know that you're going to be dealing with people, many of whom have a drug or alcohol addiction. As you offer them spiritual help, I want to invite you to ask them if they would be willing for me to contact them and perhaps visit with them because I have been where they are. And God may be able to help them through me. As he was talking, it suddenly occurred to me he was describing his cross. He said to me, when Jesus lifted me out of that pit... He asked me to help others out of that pit. That's a cross. And it, it raises this question, what kind of cross am I carrying for our Lord? What kind of cross are you carrying? Next in verse 35 of our scripture, Jesus tells us how to save your life and lose it. How to save your life and lose it. Jesus said, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? 
Jesus gave us these brief years to spend on earth, and they're brief even if you live to be 100, with the intention that we would spend it, not clutch it selfishly. I mean, if your primary aim in life is to play it safe, take no risk. Look out for old number one first. Let me tell you, that's a recipe for a miserable life. Now, it may add years to your life here. Yeah, you might live to be an old person. But I'll tell you what you'll end up being is an obnoxious jerk that nobody will want to spend time around. When Jesus urges us to lose ourselves, he's asking us to invest ourselves for him, for the gospel, for other people. And in the process, we will discover life abundant and life eternal. Now, that's a paradox right at the heart of Christianity. It's a paradox. Only by losing or investing my life for Christ will I discover what it really means to live. Let me say that again. Only by losing or investing my life for Christ do I discover what it really means to live. The writer Lee Serber wrote a best-selling biography of the movie star Ava Gardner. He interviewed virtually everybody who knew her well, including her three husbands. And without exception, they all said the same thing about her. They said, Ava Gardner is the most beautiful woman I have ever seen. She was physical perfection. They further testified that when she was sober, she had a delightful personality, down-to-earth and gracious. But Ava's friend said that she never seemed to have a spiritual anchor at all. Her only commitments were to fame, money, pleasure, a few friends, and her pet dog. And as the years went by, her beauty began to fade away. And as her beauty faded away, she gradually became a reclusive alcoholic. She died at the age of 68. For many years, she seemed to have it all. But all of it just slipped right through her fingers. And she was left with emptiness. What about your life? What about mine? Are we saving it selfishly or investing it lavishly for the one who gave his all for us? And the only way to truly make our lives count is to invest them for Jesus Christ. In the next verses of Mark chapter 8, Jesus asked, Compared to life in Christ, what is the world worth? Compared to life in Christ, what is the world worth? Jesus said, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in, in exchange for his soul? What a loaded question. Let me rephrase the question in more modern terms. If you have more money than Elon Musk and more fame than Taylor Swift, but end up spending all eternity in a place where God is utterly absent, horrible place, then 
Wouldn't you have to call your life a miserable failure? After these short years on earth, you're gonna, all of us are going to spend our eternity in one of two places, heaven or hell. And what we do with Jesus Christ determines what he will do with us for all eternity. Now, even before heaven comes, ah, living with Christ begins now. Uh, we can experience life in Christ right here and now. And I want to ask you what certain things are worth in U.S. dollars. I mean, most everything we buy, we evaluate in U.S. dollars. Is it worth that much, whether it be car, home, whatever? So I want you to think, what's it worth in U.S. dollars? What's it worth to put your head on the pillow at night with a clear conscience? What's it worth to know that every sin in your life has been forgiven? What's it worth to know that nothing in all creation can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus? What's it worth to know that if you die tonight, in the very next moment, it'll be homecoming time with Jesus in heaven? What's it all worth? Oh, if you had to put it in U.S. dollars, it'd be worth more than our national debt. Finally, in verse 38, we have this admonition from Jesus. Never be ashamed to claim the name of Jesus Christ. Never be ashamed to claim the name of Christ. Listen to Jesus' exact words. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And I want you to listen to that same verse in Eugene Peterson's translation called The Message. If any of you are embarrassed over me and the way I'm leading you, when you get around your fickle and unfocused friends, know that you'll be an even greater embarrassment to the Son of Man when he arrives in all the splendor of God. Several weeks ago, I was listening uh, to a TV news report, and a high government official was speaking. And he quoted, or began to quote, the very first verse in the Bible. You know how that goes. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He started out doing it, but he didn't do it correctly. He left something out. And this is what he said, and I quote, In the beginning... There was darkness, and then there was light, end of quote. What did he leave out? He left out the name of God. And I wondered, why? Why? Was it politically incorrect? Would it offend some of his base? Was he ashamed to name the name of God? have mercy. You know, there are many people who are fearless uh, in business, even in battle, in sports, fearless. But they become shriveling wimps when threatened by some anonymous critics on social media. What a shame. 
If we are unwilling to name the name that is above every name, because it could cost us something, maybe in popularity, maybe we'd offend somebody, maybe in money, then how is the king of glory going to react to us when we meet him face to face? Jesus said so. He would be ashamed of us. Ashamed of us. And in fact, Jesus said, I will say, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Some time ago, I dropped by a Chick-fil-A restaurant to pick up some food to take home. And I noticed that an employee there had posted a copy of the Ten Commandments on the restaurant wall. And I was impressed because that's controversial in America today. Yes. In fact, if you post such a copy on a government building, you can get sued over that. So I was, I was impressed. But it caused me to wonder how many church members would be willing to place a copy of the Ten Commandments or a Bible or a cross in a visible place in their business. And my doubts were strengthened by reading a book by Hugh Hewitt entitled The Embarrassed Believer. And Mr. Hewitt claims that most of the 50 million American Christians who attend church on a typical weekend would be ashamed to name the name of Christ in their place of business during the week. I hope and pray that he's wrong and that our Mount Horeb folks will never be ashamed to name the name of Jesus Christ anywhere, anytime. When you and I meet Jesus one day and render an accountability to him, oh, there are going to be some things there on the list we're not proud of. There are going to be things we wish we had done differently, heaven knows. Thanks be to God, all of them will have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. Oh, but surely none of us would want to admit to Jesus when we meet him face to face. Ooh, Lord, down, when I was down there on earth, I was ashamed to name your name. Today there's an old man in Hong Kong who is never ashamed to name the name of Christ. He is Cardinal Joseph Zinn, 91-year-old, former leader of Roman Catholics in Hong Kong. He's under house arrest today. The Chinese, government, Chinese Communist government arrested him after he supported pro-democracy protesters. They charged him with collusion with foreign enemies. And if found guilty of this, it's a life sentence. No trial date has been set. Cardinal Zinn said he was just putting into practice the social teachings of his church. And I wondered, I wondered, why would a man like this, who at the age of 90 had already put in a lifetime of service for Christ, he had finished his course faithfully, why at that age didn't he just keep his head down and his mouth shut. And I'll tell you why. It's because of his commitment to his Savior. And over the past 10 years, much of Cardinal Zinn's time has been spent in prison ministries, going 
to those ministries, to those prisons to share the gospel. Well, the Chinese communists now have shut that down. He's not allowed to visit any prisons. So he wrote a letter to those prison inmates, and this is what he said. Do not forget that we will never be separated thanks to prayer. I will continue to pray for you, and please remember me in your prayers. End of quote. And that reminds me that you and I ought to remember Cardinal Zinn regularly in our prayers. Cardinal Zinn is a believer, not a bystander. And what about us? Are, are we believers or bystanders? Now, today is a great day to make or renew that firm commitment to Christ. And I'm going to invite you to say to the Lord something like this. I am committed to you, Lord Jesus, and I won't back down, wimp out, or shut up until you call me home. So help me, God.